Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Father God, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to gather in your house, to worship you, to come before your holy throne and give you praise, to remember what your son Jesus has done on the cross for us and the life that we can live because we know that you've paid it all, that our, our debt and our sins and our the things that we feel bad about in our past, we can just lay them at your feet, Jesus, and trust that you have forgiven it because of your atoning work on the cross. And so we just thank you for that right now, Lord. And we pray that as we hear from your word this morning, Lord, that you would speak through Shayon, that you would give him the words, Lord, that it would be your words and not his. Help us to understand, help us to see you clearly. And for those of us who don't know you, Lord, help us to know the love that you have to know that you are a God who is so much greater than any troubles we can face in this world, Lord. So please just affirm your truth to us this morning. We pray all this in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to have all of you here. We're continuing in our series in the book of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Luke chapter 14. We were in chapter 17 last week. We're working backwards a little bit. We'll be uh, going through the whole chapter of uh, Luke 14 this week and next week. So we're looking at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 24. So that's the passage we're in. And the title of today's message is this, needed word, a needed word for needy hearts. A needed word for needy hearts. Uh, a couple years ago, when uh, my family moved to Mississauga, we started renting a basement suite. It was newly finished, so we thought all was good. We moved in, and we were ready to live life. And then the first summer came around, and suddenly all these ants started to come out of every single crack in the house. And so our landlord was like, here's a silicone caulking gun. Just fill in all the cracks, and you should be good. And it worked for three days. And then all of a sudden... Ants with wings came out. And so I turned over to Natalie. I said, pack our bags, grab the kids. We're burning the house down. I, in my head, that was the only solution left. But my landlord was a little bit more level-headed. He said, let's call in an expert and see, see what he says. So he comes in. He makes an evaluation of the house. And he says, you know, there's a nest right under the bathtub. That's what you need to deal with. So I go over to Home Depot, go to the insect killer aisle. I grab one of everything, powder, liquid, whatever it is. It's scorched earth military strategy at this point. And I'm leaving them around as a warning to the insects that would come after. Now, in the same way, an expert had to come in so he could expose the real problem and therefore give a real solution to deal with it. In the passage today, Jesus exposes our hearts so he can help our hearts. Jesus exposes our hearts so he can help our hearts. 
See, Jesus doesn't offer us surface-level uh, surface solutions. Instead, he exposes our hearts to show the real problems that are there so he can offer us real and lasting help. But if we're honest, when our hearts are exposed, we feel vulnerable. And often our response isn't to accept that help, but to, to run from it or to make excuses to justify what's already there or to just simply ignore it. But the word to us is that's pride. But if we oppose our pride and in humility go to God, we receive his grace. See, oftentimes a word like this is a hard word, but like Pastor Marv said a number of weeks ago, it's a needed word. It might be a hard word, but it's a needed word for our needy hearts. And we need to remember that anytime Jesus tells us the truth, he does so to help us. He's not out to, to shame us or to put us down, but he gives us a word to help us. His aim is that. And here's the even better news, that he doesn't just tell us what's wrong and offer solution, but he gives us his very spirit by which we're able to put into action the things that he calls us to do and live in obedience and walk in victory. And so in the passage today, Luke is going to tell us of a dinner party that Jesus is at. And while he's there, he's not pulling any punches. He's talking to four different groups of people and he's telling the people at the party what they need to hear. It's a hard word, but it's a needed word. And he says these things to them to help them. And he says these things to them to help us. And so he gives a hard word, but a needed word. And the first word he gives is this. He gives a word to the legalistic heart. Be compassionate. He gives a word to the legalistic heart. Be compassionate. Look at verse 1 and 2. One Sabbath... When he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Now, last week, uh, our church had a post-service barbecue. It was great. If you missed it, too bad, but not really. There's another one coming up in a number of weeks. But Anthony was there manning the grill, and then there was four other guys just simply watching him. It was, it was fantastic. It was a great time. So if you're able to come, come to that. But this post-service, post-Sabbath service barbecue, it wasn't a, a friendly barbecue. It wasn't a friendly dinner like that. Notice what Luke tells us that the Pharisees, the hosts, who invite him over after the Sabbath service are watching him closely. That literally means that they're lurking and, and watching him to make a mistake because what they want to do is to look for a way to trap Jesus. See, Jesus has healed on the Sabbath before. We've seen that a number of times already throughout the book of Luke. And so they want to catch him again in the act in front of everyone who's there at the dinner. So what they do is... They, they think about it, and they invite someone who's sick. Look at what Luke says, someone who, whose body was swollen with fluid. What Luke is telling us is his sickness is outwardly visible. It would be obvious to anyone looking at this man that he was sick. So they invite this sick man over, knowing that Jesus is so consistent in showing compassions, the Pharisees are sure that the sick man won't be overlooked by Jesus. Now, there's a word of encouragement for us there. That the nature of Jesus 
is so consistent in showing compassion that even his enemies can bank on him. To trap him, though, that Jesus is so consistent in showing compassion to those who have need that even his enemies can bank on it. But this compassion that Jesus shows isn't this mechanistic response that he sees need and then he's obligated to to meet it. No, this is the very nature of our God that his compassion, his goodness, his mercy overflows like a well that runs over. And so he sees needs and, and his nature responds to it. And so the encouragement to us is that our God never changes. This is what's called the doctrine of divine immutability, that God never changes. His nature is consistent. And so that's why, just like the enemies can bank on the goodness and kindness of Jesus, we can as well. That there will never be a time that we will go to Jesus in faith and we will not receive compassion and mercy. This is why we can always bank on him. That's why we can always bank on his compassion, his mercy, and goodness towards us. That in a world that is ever-changing, our God is not. He is a rock that we stand on. That his compassion is something we can always count on. See, their attempt to trap Jesus, though, doesn't matter to him. Because his mercy and compassion isn't limited by who's watching or what day of the week it is. That even though it's the Sabbath, he is ready to do it. But before he heals the sick man, he asks a question. Look at verse 3. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? With a very simple question, Jesus completely reverses the situation and exposes the legalistic hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. Now, I want to make a quick clarification here. A passion for obedience to God's word isn't legalism. A passion to obey God's word is not legalism. Now, what is legalism, you might be asking, is this. Legalism is a heart that says, I know better than God, and therefore adds to God's word and imposes that as a weight on others. See, this is what the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers did. See, the law of Moses, the law that God gave to his people, said that the Sabbath was actually a gift of rest. That to those who were former slaves, that they no longer had to work every single day, but that they had a whole day of rest to meditate upon and dwell on the goodness of God and his blessings to them. But the Pharisees take this gift of the Sabbath and they write what's called the the Mishnah, 39 categories of restrictions. They take a gift of rest and add chains to it. They take what was intended to to be a, a day of freedom and joy and make it a day full of restrictions. That's legalism. So Jesus, when he asks, is it lawful? He actually traps them. Do you notice? Because if they answer yes, that it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they admit that their man-made traditions are useless. But if they answer no, they reveal to everyone who's there their lack of compassion and mercy, that their hearts are cold. And so what do they do? Look at their response, verse 4. But they kept silent. See, they've learned by this point that they can't debate with Jesus. 
So, they t- so, so Jesus, in turn, turns to the sick man, and look what he does. Verse 4 again. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. But Jesus isn't done. Look at verse 5. And to them, he said, he turns back to the Pharisees and the lawyers, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out, of, pull him out on the Sabbath day? See, Jesus asks a rhetorical question to expose what's really in them. Just like it's normal to scream at a jump scare or to gag when there's pineapple on pizza or to breathe a sigh of relief when the sermon is finally over, Jesus is saying that it's completely natural to show compassion and concern to things that belong to you, even on the Sabbath. See, even the Pharisees and lawyers would never think twice if it was their son, their daughter, or their oxen in a well. Even on the Sabbath, they would not lack compassion. So Jesus, with that one question, flips the whole situation around and shows that their man-made traditions are completely useless. He shows also that obedience to the law of God is not in conflict with showing compassion to others. In fact, Jesus shows that he can perfectly observe the Sabbath in the way that his father intended and yet show perfect compassion to those around him. Jesus goes on, look at verse 6. And they, meaning the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers, could find no answer to these things. They give the same response, silence. Now, this should inform our evangelism, the response of of the Pharisees and the scribes. And you might be asking how, and I'm going to show you. See, Jesus in this situation has showed consistent compassion and kindness. In this situation, Jesus has displayed supernatural power, the, the working of miracles by healing sickness. Jesus displays mastery over logic and interpretation and application of the the Old Testament, God's law. He showed immeasurable wisdom. And yet, the Pharisees and lawyers don't respond to Jesus in faith. What this shows us is that the real barrier isn't merely intellectual. The real barrier to coming to Jesus is unbelief and a hard heart. So it shows us that our responsibility isn't to do great things and try to convince them. Our responsibility is to share the word plainly. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be compassionate, that we shouldn't be kind, that we shouldn't be wise and be rational. But it tells us that we do our work, we plainly tell the word and the gospel, and we trust the Spirit to do the work that only He can. Only the Spirit can take hard hearts and make them into hearts of flesh that can respond to the gospel. Now Jesus, he finally turns his eyes away from the Pharisees and the the lawyers, and then he he turns his eyes now, his attention, to others who are invited to the party. Look at verse 7. He told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. He has another word, and this time it's a word to the prideful heart. Be humble. A word to the prideful heart. Be humble. See, in that culture, your seat at the table reflected your rank and your class, 
And so the people who were invited to this dinner were rushing for the seats of honor, the ones that were closest to the host so that they could display for everyone else who was invited their their prominence and status. Jesus exposes this as pride. They were asserting for themselves their own status. Jesus tells them that it's better to be humble than to be publicly humiliated. Choose humility or you will find humiliation. Choose humility or you will be humiliated. Look at verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come in and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. So when a guest comes over, Jesus tells them, in their pride, they usually pick the place of honor. But the the risk in that is that the host might have invited someone who's of, of greater rank than you. And then he might come to you and in front of everyone else ask you to take the lowest place. And so like a student who's being called to the principal's office in front of his friend, the person will have to get up and in shame with every step proceed to the lowest place of the table. Instead, Jesus says, and and he says that wisdom is this, when you are invited, don't worry about honor and prominence. Don't concern yourself with status. Pick the lowest place. Because when the host sees you, he will honor you in front of everyone. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus is teaching us that honor, position, and status is not something that we assert for ourselves. It's always better to choose humility because it's always better to be recognized by others than to assert yourself. Whether it be at work, at school, in in the community, leadership in the church, Jesus says, work hard, keep your head down, and let others around you recognize you. And look at verse 11. He ends with this summary. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this this is true not only in our personal relationships with one another, but also before God. Here's what Peter says in his epistle, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 6. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the, the proud. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the right time. In your life, it will never go well if you go around trying to assert your own prominence and trying to assert your your own status, position, and power. This is a, actually, Jesus says, a quick way to annoy the people around you, but not only that, to set God's opposition against you. Because God, what, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility invites God's grace and kindness into our life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He gives a word 
to his host, but now, or sorry, he, he gives a word to those who have been invited, but now he turns his eyes to the host. Look at verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. He gives another word, and a word to the host this time. He said, a word to the self-serving heart. Be hospitable. A word to the self-serving heart. Be hospitable. See, Jesus speaks to the tendency that we have to show hospitality only to those who can pay back the favor. In this, he exposes the self-serving heart because the people here and the host wasn't interested in showing real hospitality. The people were only truly interested in what they could gain in return from the people they invited. See, it exposed a, a love of money rather than a love of neighbor. Instead, Jesus says, invite the people who can't pay you back. Now, real practical application for us in that is don't fall into the trap of getting upset if your hospitality to others isn't reciprocated. Now, that's a lot easier to say than to do because I fall into that trap all the time. I'm like, can't get that person a gift now or can't invite them over again. Jesus says instead, be okay with just serving that person, whether it be through hospitality or service, even if you get nothing in return. Just a real practical application. But this also shows us that the community inf influenced by the gospel, so the church, should make care for those who are needy a priority. Notice the people that Jesus calls us to, to prioritize, the lame, the poor, the maimed and the blind, those who have need should be prioritized in the care of the church. They should make it a priority. That's why we have what we call a community care ministry. That needs to be a priority of our church that we give our efforts to. But it also shows us that the church in its fellowship and its boundaries have, have lost all limits. That those whom they fellowship together with no longer have any boundaries. See, the people at the time had certain restrictions of who they could fellowship with. But the community influenced by the gospel isn't limited to a particular social group. There's no boundaries of class, race, or rank. But the, the community influenced by the gospel should be a beautiful display of all peoples being reconciled because of the gospel. See, Jesus himself sets the example for us in this. See, as the, the great host, he invites all of us to the table where we eat the bread and drink the cup. And he invites us all there as the host, and he makes no restrictions for who can come. That those with faith are invited to the table. A meal shared by everyone, no matter the social status, race, or class. We all participate at the table as those who have been equally redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus calls us to follow his example. And when we do, he promises that there's a reward. Look at verse 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
See, the needy aren't able to pay back the favor, but God is. God is able. He owns everything. God doesn't lack resources to help his people out. So invite the people who can't pay you back. God will take care of his people. There will be a great reward, and the reward comes, though not often in this life, but definitely in the resurrection of the righteous. Now, for the first time in this whole passage, someone else other than Jesus speaks. Look at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, just like Peter heard, this is my son, and his response was, let's build tents. And just like the crowds heard Jesus saying, this is my flesh, this is my blood, and thought Jesus wants us to eat him, just like the disciples heard Jesus say, I have food that you don't even know about, and they thought Jesus was talking about sandwiches. Just like all of these situations, this man heard everything that Jesus had said and completely missed the point. He thought, Jesus is rebuking all of these people, exposing their hearts, trying to help them. And this man's response is, I can't wait to eat bread in heaven. Makes no sense. And so Jesus isn't done yet. He turns to him and gives him a word. This time, it's a word for the presuming heart. A word for the presuming heart. Be sure you're in the kingdom. A word to the presuming heart. Be sure that you are in the kingdom. See, this man's comment exposes his presumption. He thinks he's guaranteed a place in heaven. He's completely ignored everything that Jesus has said and thinks he's part of the resurrection of the righteous that Jesus has just referred to in verse 14. Jesus, being compassionate and kind, doesn't let him persist in this presumption, but exposes his heart and tells him a parable. Look at verse 16. Then he, meaning Jesus, told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. I ask that you excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask that you excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. See, uh, Jesus tells us a story of a prominent man who is about to host a, a large banquet. And at that time, when such banquets were held, the, the host would send out an invitation far out in advance, kind of like a save the date or an RSVP request. And so all of, all of the people had said, yes, we're coming. And so the day of the banquet, the prominent man sends a, a servant out to gather all the people who had accepted his request. Jesus tells us that everyone who had received the invitation, who's responded to this host at this time, are now making excuses for not coming. Now their excuses, every single one of them is different, but they reveal the same heart. They have made something else their ultimate priority. Now, clarification for us here. Jesus is not saying that, they, that there aren't real earthly concerns that we should have. We should take care of our families. 
We should work hard at our jobs. We should seek to be good neighbors in our community. But this, what Jesus is saying is that this is a, an issue of priority, not exclusivity. Priority, not exclusivity. Jesus says that, that what we look forward to in heaven should be the priority over everything. Because once we have that right perspective, everything else falls into its right place. Something that's really easy for us to miss when we read over the story quickly is that none of these things that, that these men make excuses for are, are evil. See, land, livestock, spouse, none of those are evil things. They're actually all good gifts given by God to us to enjoy. But Satan and our sin often takes these gifts and make them excuses and distractions from the greatest gift from God. But here's the good news. God doesn't leave us to ourselves, but he sends his servant, the eternal son, Jesus, to compel us to come into the banquet. He even purchases our seat with his blood. And he says, don't miss it. And when we respond with faith, we're able to enjoy the banquet with him. And this is exactly what the host in the parable does. Look at verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Because the original guests have rejected the invitation, the host sends his servant within the city, so to the streets, to collect the needy, the poor, maimed, blind, and lame, and also outside the city, meaning the highways. This is indicative of, of the mission to the Gentiles. And he does all of this so that his banquet can be full. Notice that the ones who the Pharisees and the lawyers ignored in verse 13 are the very ones, the, the outcasts and the marginalized, are the very ones that Jesus invites to his table. They're the ones that fill the house of the master. This gives us a, a beautiful picture of who God is. See, it shows us that God cares for, he cares for the outcast. He cares for the marginalized. It also shows us that God pursues his people. Did you notice that the, the servant goes out to the streets? He goes out to the highways. The master sends his servant out far to gather his people to fill his house. God pursues his people. But we also see God's immeasurable grace and generosity. Notice, the master keeps sending out his servant until his house is full. The word to us is that opportunity to enter in is still available. There's room in the house. But there will be a time when the gates will be closed. The house will be filled. And at that time, Jesus says in verse 24, I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. We need to, 
This heart that God has, the heart for the poor, the marginalized, the heart of pursuit after people, this urgency is, is the heart that God calls us to have. And that's why he ends that passage with that warning. Verse 24 again, for I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. See, at this point, Jesus is no longer in storytelling mode. This is not the master of the banquet speaking this. This is Jesus to the people at that dinner. He stopped telling the story, and he's talking directly to his audience. That's why he says, my banquet. Did you notice that in verse 24? My banquet. This is the final heavenly feast, the the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Jesus tells us in this passage that you can talk all about looking forward to the feast in heaven, just like the, the man in verse 15. But if you don't actually respond to Jesus or his message, you will never enter into the kingdom. That it's one thing to profess faith in Christ, and it's another thing to actually possess it. It's very easy to say words, but how we respond in real life to Jesus and his message makes all the difference. But there's a promise. There is a promise to those who do respond to Jesus, who receive him and respond and receive his message. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who did receive him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. That though he came to his own and his own didn't receive him, those who do receive him have the right to be called children of God. See, Jesus, in giving this warning, just like in all the other words of warning that he has given to us in this passage, he speaks at this dinner because he he actually cares for us. It's hard words, but it's needed words. See, Jesus does all of this to expose our hearts to help our hearts. He exposes our hearts to help our hearts. See, it's a grace of God that he doesn't leave us in our situation, that he doesn't leave us blind to our own need, but he tells us the truth. See, every warning that he gives is an opportunity to turn to Jesus in faith. Every warning is an opportunity to turn to Jesus. It's a hard word, but it's a needed word, and it's a needed word for our needy hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you do not leave us to ourselves, but that you speak. You've spoken to us by your Son, and and now you speak to us by your Word, which your Spirit illuminates to our hearts, that you are a God who continues to speak to us. And at times it's hard words, but we recognize that it's a needed word. That every time you speak, it's grace. It's an opportunity to respond to you. And you've given us the spirit by which we can do that. So we pray that you be with us this morning, even as we respond in song. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, like, unlike the man in verse 15, who, out of sentimentality, looked forward to heaven, to those who have truly responded to Jesus, Our hope is not of this world. 
Our hope is what's to come in heaven. So we're going to sing about that as those who have responded to Jesus in faith. We can, with reality, say we look forward to the banquet of the Lamb. So let's stand and respond to him in song. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.